0: Psalm 136, Psalm 136, and as you open to that psalm, uh, if you've got a bulletin today, please be sure and look on the back of your bulletin. There's a sermon outline, hopefully that will aid you as we walk through this text today together, Psalm 136, before we read this psalm, just a little Word of introduction. In Jewish tradition, this psalm is known as the Great Hallel. We learned a couple weeks ago that Hallel is a Hebrew word that means to praise. So this is the Great Psalm of Praise in the Bible. And as you will be able to tell here in just a little bit, this psalm is going to give us a glimpse of what it was like in the Old Testament to sing congregational psalm singing. So what would happen in this psalm in particular is that the priest or the soloist would chant the first line of this psalm, and in response, the congregation together would sing the refrain after the soloist sang the first part. So given the history of this psalm, what I'm going to ask you to do today as a congregation is to join me in the reading of this psalm, but go ahead and I'll I'll let you know we're not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing the first part. I will say the first part and just ask you in response to say the refrain. And you know, as we do this, think back because this psalm really has been uh, said and, and sung for thousands of years. And again, it originally was the, the soloist singing the first part, the congregation responding with the refrain. And that refrain that you'll say, it's in bold. It says, For his steadfast love endures forever. That will be your part. So if you were able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. We'll say the scripture together. Again, I'll do the first part of the verse. You repeat the refrain. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of God's Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, to Him who alone does great wonders, to Him who by understanding made the heavens, to Him who spread out the earth above the waters, to Him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Who brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings. And killed many king, mighty kings. Stead, love, Sihon, king of the Amorites. Stead, love, and, and Og, king of Bashan. Stead, love, and, and gave their land as a heritage, stead, as love, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is He who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes, He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Pray with me. Father, it is good to read Your Word together, to ponder Your steadfast love over the ages, to remember Your works of creation and providence towards us. And Father, as we gather into this time of the preaching of Your Word, bless this time. May we worship You through the preaching of Your Word. If there's one here who's never trusted Christ for salvation, we pray that You would draw that one to Yourself by Your grace. For believers here today, may we learn more of your love, remembering what you have done, what you're doing, and what you will do, Father. Bless this time, we pray. We all ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. If you're visiting with us today or you're here for the first time in a long time, I want you to know that we are right in the middle of a series on the Psalms, and we've covered several different types of Psalms over the past few weeks. We've covered wisdom Psalms, Psalms that teach us about the revelation and the law of God, Psalms of confidence, saying to the Lord that we trust in you and in you alone, Psalms of protection that God is with us and around us all the time. We've been down in the valley. In some of the Psalms called the laments, people crying out to God in their greatest time of need. We saw David's lament in Psalm 51 as he's repenting of his sin. We've been up on the mountaintop as well. Psalm 117 was a hymn, a hymn of praise to God, exalting God, that everyone, not just in Israel, but all over the world, the nations are called to praise the Lord. Well, today we actually come to yet another type of psalm. Psalm 136 is what's called a psalm of remembrance. Another name for this type of psalm is a redemptive historical psalm, or what's called an an RH psalm, redemptive historical psalm. And What we find is that in these types of psalms, psalms of remembrance, that they look back into history they recall what God has done in the past, specifically God's creating the Exodus, in of course from the book of Exodus. The Davidic king, the dynasty uh, through David, that these Psalms look back on what God has done throughout time. And we see that R.H. Psalms really have two main purposes. The first one would be that The Bible wants to teach us the significance of history. We learn that God has a purpose in history, that He's actually moving us to a climax. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But that God is working through the pages of Scripture, through the pages of history, to show us His plan of redemption. It teaches us that we need to learn to align our lives with God's plan so that our life will be purposeful in the sight of God. But the second purpose is simply to praise God, to extol Him for two reasons, for who He is and for what He's done. And I want you to know that today, this psalm, Psalm 136, fits this mold. It fits the redemptive historical psalm by looking back into history, and it teaches us why we should praise God because of who He is and because of what He's done. So as we walk through this text today, if you'll notice on the back of your bulletin, there's four main points that I want you to see from Psalm 136, this redemptive historical psalm that focuses on the steadfast love of God. The first thing I want you to see is this psalm teaches us to praise the Lord for who He is. Secondly, to praise Him for what He has done. But then it moves us forward and teaches us to praise the Lord for His constant preservation of our lives. And then finally, as, we, as you said in every single verse, this psalm teaches us to proclaim God's enduring, steadfast love forever. But let's look at those first three verses as we walk through this text because the psalmist here teaches us to praise the Lord, first of all, for who He is. Who He is. Verses 1 through 3 of this text talk to us about who God is. And at the beginning of all three of these verses, it says, give thanks. It's a good text to ponder, particularly this week of, of Thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord. For, for who He is. But I want you to know that this expression can also mean to confess or to recognize. So as you're giving thanks, recognize and confess who God is. And this text gives us three names for God. One found in verse 1, one in verse 2, and one in verse 3. Let's talk about those three names. If you look at verse 1, do you see the word Lord and do you notice with me that all four letters of that word are capitalized? We talked about this a few weeks ago. When you're reading the Bible and all four letters of the word Lord are capitalized, that's a special word in Hebrew. It's the word Yahweh, sometimes translated Jehovah, Jehovah, depending on what vowels are put with the consonants. But this is the name of God, Yahweh. The name of God reminds me of one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Do you remember Exodus chapter 3? Moses had already fled from Egypt. He was a sheep herder over in Midian. And one day he saw a bush that was on fire, but the bush wasn't consumed. He went over to that bush and God said, take your shoes off, boy, because you're on holy ground. And the Lord called Moses that day. He said, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And we know what Moses did. He made up every excuse in the book, didn't he, not to go? He tried to get out of it every way he could. And one of the things he told God was, he said, God, what if I get to Egypt and they ask me your name? God, I don't know your name, I can't go. I don't know who you are. I don't know your name. But the Lord settled that issue with him that day, didn't he? He told Moses his name. He said, my name is what? I am. I am that I am. That is my name. And what God was saying to Moses is that he's the God who is, as opposed to all those false gods in Egypt that you're getting ready to encounter because they are the gods who are not. God is when they are not. I am, that is my name. I want you to know that this word in this text, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, that is a play on the verb to be in Hebrew. That the Bible takes the word to be and makes it into a noun. And that's the name of God. L-O-R-D, In Hebrew, Yahweh. I am. God is saying, I am the God who is, as opposed to all the false gods out there who are the gods who are not. Praise me. Give thanks to me, God says, because of who I am. I am the supreme God who is, when everything else, all the other gods are the gods who are not Verse 2 is a different word. Verse 2 says, God of gods. This is the word in Hebrew, Elohim. Elohim simply means God. But in this text, it is saying that God is unlike all the other man-made false gods. He, rather, is the God of gods. He is the supreme God who sits over and above all the false gods that are created By man, he is the Elohim of Elohim's. He is the God of gods. Verse three is Lord. It's the word Adonai. The word Lord could be also used as that a person who is a king or a ruler or a magistrate. Well, God indeed is king and ruler, but he is the king and ruler above all the earthly kings and rulers. One commentator said it this way, that the Lord is more excellent than all magistrates, rulers, princes, and kings of the world. So in these three names, friends, God is showing us who he is. And he's showing us that he is a good God and a sovereign God. Verse 1 says, give thanks to Yahweh. Why? Because he is good. That means he always does that which is right and just. That he is merciful and kind to his children. I love the way Jesus described Yahweh in the Gospels. When Jesus teaches us to pray, Jesus said, if you ask this good God for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If you ask this good God for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. He is a good God. Who loves to pour out his blessings to his children, but not only is he good, but he's sovereign. Sovereign means he's above all and subject to no one. That's why the expression says, God of gods, Lord of lords. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar, who indeed was a king? Yes, he was an Adonai, he was a ruler. God brought him to his knees. The the Bible says that it was after King Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated and ate grass like an ox. He said this in the book of Daniel. This is Daniel 4. Talking about the God of gods, the Lord of lords, he says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, Lord, what have you done? He's Yahweh. He's Elohim. He's Adonai, God of gods, Lord of lords. And beloved, we are called to praise him for who he is. But secondly, the psalm moves forward. Verses 4 through 20 now get to some specific reasons to praise him because of what he's done. Verses 1 through 3, that's who God is. But now verses 4 through 20, this is what God has done. These are reasons to give thanks, to acknowledge God for what he has done. And to teach this, the psalmist looks back. He looks back at history. Do you like to reminisce? Think about the old days. Maybe this week you'll have a chance to reminisce. You'll get together maybe with some family. Week of Thanksgiving as Christmas is coming up. Maybe you'll reminisce with your mom or dad or a grandparent. Maybe you'll reminisce with some cousins or some old friends. Maybe you'll get out one of the picture books and you'll look back and see how things used to be, what things used to look like. People love to reminisce. That's actually what the psalmist does in this text. He says, let's reminisce, let's remember, let's think back to the way things used to be and how God acted in our history so that we can praise him for what he's done. In fact, the psalmist in this text goes all the way back to creation the psalmist says, let's review, let's, let's remember, it's a call to remember, let's remember what God did in creation. You look at verse 5, it's talking about with understanding making the heavens. Verse 6, spreading out the earth above the waters. Verse 7, making the great lights, one to rule the day, one to rule the night. He talks about creation. It reminds us what Blair read just a moment ago from Proverbs chapter 3, where the Lord, through wisdom and understanding, structured the universe that houses our humanity. And I don't know if you caught that last verse that Blair read from Proverbs 3. It's printed in your bulletin in the context of the main portion of your bulletin. But Proverbs 3.20 even talks about the way God made the clouds consider that. The psalmist says, or in Proverbs says, consider the way God made the clouds. He made the clouds in such a way that little drops of rain would come out of the clouds just a little bit at a time, and it would fall to the ground so the earth might be nourished, that flowers might grow and trees might grow, because if all that water just dropped at once, that would be too hard for the earth to handle. But God has made the clouds so that the dew might fall, the rain might fall in such a way that we can function on this earth. It takes us back to Genesis. We remember how God made all things out of nothing. That through the word of his power, on day one, God created light and darkness. On day two, he created the waters and the sky. On day three, he created the land and the vegetation. On day four, he put the sun, the moon, and the stars in place. On day five, he created the fish and the birds. On day six, he created the the land animals, and he created man in his image. And the psalmist here is saying, remember, remember the power of God, that he spoke all of this into existence. He is a powerful and a good God, and let's be in awe of what he's done. But then there's another call to reminisce, another call to remember. You see, the psalmist doesn't just stop with creation. He says, let's continue to think about what happened in the Old Testament after God created. Specifically, let's zoom in on the Exodus event. Do you remember what happened with Moses? Because after that burning bush, after Moses learned the name of God, he and Aaron went into Egypt. And Aaron spoke on his behalf, and they told Pharaoh what? Let my people go. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and the Bible said he would not let God's people go. So what did God do? This text reminds us. It reminds us of the plagues. God turned all their water to blood. He gave them frogs. He gave them lice. He gave them flies. He caused hail to come down. Their cattle died. We know that God caused boils to come up on the people of Egypt. He sent locusts through the land. He calls it to be dark all day long. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hard. So God gave them one more plague. We know it is the Passover. Put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost and on the sides. If you have the blood of the lamb on your door, when God comes, he will pass over you. But if you don't have the blood of the lamb on your door, your firstborn will die. And this text reminds us of God's power, that he took Pharaoh's son. And then finally, Pharaoh said, Go, get out of here. Be gone. So the children of Israel packed up and they went out of the land. But say things weren't over. They got to the Red Sea, and by that point, Pharaoh's heart had hardened again. He was upset that he had let the people go. So what did he do? He sent Egypt after those people. And Israel got to the banks of the Red Sea. And they look to one side, and behind them, there's Egypt. They're coming. They're coming after us. And they look this way, and they say, we can't go this way either because the Red Sea is there. We're going to die in the sea. What do we do? And God says, let me remind you of how I'm a conqueror, that I'm going to fight for my people. Because on this side, God puts a pillar of fire between Egypt and Israel. And on this side, oh, wouldn't you love to have been there to see this? On this side, the Red Sea parts. And Israel walks across on dry land. But the story's not over. They walk across on the dry land. And the Psalm 136 reminds us, it says, Israel got across and they looked back again. And they said, yes, I'm glad I'm here. I'm not in the sea. But guess what? Egypt's coming after me. They're going to get me. And the Lord once again reminded Israel that God was going to fight for them. That he's a divine warrior. And as Blair read Exodus 15, if you caught it in verse 3, it says that the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And the Lord crashed that Red Sea down onto the Egyptians. He defeated the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel. The chariots, the horses were cast into the Red Sea. The psalm says, remember, remember what God has done. And then remember that when you were wandering in that land for 40 years, there were other kings that tried to overcome you. There was King Og, King Sihon. Both of these men, they tried to overcome you in the wilderness. But God would not let that happen. He fought for his people. In fact, the Bible says in Numbers 21 that Sihon and Og, they were both defeated by Israel, and Israel possessed both their lands. And what God is saying, he's saying to Israel, praise me. Not only because of who I am, praise me because of what I've done. I am the divine warrior who conquers your enemies. Third this morning, Psalm 136 teaches us to praise the Lord for his constant preservation. You see, now that the people of God have realized who God is, they've realized what God has done, they've reminisced, they've looked back, God brings them to the present. It says, see how right now, verses 23 through 26, see how right now I am preserving you as my people. As this text says, God remembers his people, he rescues his people, he feeds his people. And I want you to know that for me and you today, the Lord gives us this promise. God says to us, as he did in the Old Testament, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with my people. I will preserve them to the very, very end. You see, what this psalm is teaching us is that God is with us, not only when he created all things, not only in the exodus with Israel, not only as he is defeating the pagan king on behalf of Israel, God is with you and me right now. He helps us. He preserves us. Well, how does he do it? How is he doing this for us? We've talked a lot today about God fighting for his people, right? God defeating Egypt, defeating Sihon, defeating Og. What enemies today is God fighting and defeating For us, his people. Let's talk about at least three. Sin, death, and hell. Like Egypt, sin, death, and hell is an enemy so big that we can't defeat those three things on our own. We need the help of God. Israel needed the help of God. And God showed up in some major, big ways. I want you to know that the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ took on those three things, sin, death, and hell, and he defeated them, our greatest enemies. Sin is our enemy. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous, no, not one. We can't get sin off of our lives. We can't do anything about it, but Jesus can. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and when He did, He removed your sin and mine as far as the east is from the west. He defeated our sin. The Bible says He died with them, but He rose without them. He defeated them. He defeated hell, eternal punishment. The Bible says that on the cross, Jesus endured hell. He was separated from his Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Jesus asked. And Jesus went through hell for you and me on the cross, yet he defeated it And death. 1 Corinthians calls death our last enemy. It's the last thing we're going to face in this life. So many people fear death, yet you don't have to. Because Christ, the divine warrior, defeated death For you. You see, Christ went through death. He experienced death. But on the third day, he was raised. That blessed story of Easter where Christ overcomes your last enemy, my last enemy, and saves us from death. That's why he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Though a man die, yet shall he live. Death is defeated in Jesus Christ. He also gives us the Holy Spirit. You see, when we come now to know Christ by grace through faith, when we believe upon Him, Christ gives us His Holy Spirit that inhabits us. We are the temple of God. And His Spirit leads, guides, and directs just as God led, guided, and directed those in the Old Testament. And He will grow you in your faith and preserve you to the very day that you die or Jesus comes back. Because there's a future aspect to this. God's not finished. Right now, Jesus is building his church. But one day, beloved, the Bible says Jesus is coming back. We talked about history being purposeful, being meaningful. Because what's all this? what, What are we heading toward? Where are we going? You see, this whole redemptive plan of God is pointing to a marriage supper. Yes, the groom is coming to get his bride. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he will usher us as the bride of Christ into the presence of his Father. And we will have that wedding supper of the Lamb and be with Jesus forever. The Lord will constantly preserve His people. So, fourth and finally, today, this brings us to the verse, the refrain that you repeated so well, by the way, found in every single verse of this text the enduring, steadfast love of God. The word for love. In this text, it's a word we talked about a few weeks ago. Kesed or Hesed. It's a Hebrew term I want you to be familiar with. Let me remind you of the definition we talked about of Kesed in Hebrew, the love of God. This is a strong relational term that wraps up in itself an entire cluster of concepts. All the divine attributes of God. His love, mercy, and grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty, and faithfulness. In short, it's that quality that moves a person to act for the benefit of another without respect to the advantage it might bring the person who expresses it. And the fact that the refrain in this text, which is, His steadfast love endures forever, the fact that it's repeated in every single verse teaches us that God loves us in every single way that he's mentioned in this text, specifically. In his sovereignty, being God of God and Lord of Lords, God is saying to you, I love you, by being in control of history. Through his creation, God is saying to you, I love you, by designing a world in which you can live and thrive. In his victories, God is saying, I love you by conquering all of your enemies. Enemies you could never conquer on your own. In his preservation, Jesus is saying, I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I want to give you my spirit who will usher you into the presence of my Father. And like a river that continually runs, God has said his love keeps pouring out towards us in all things. And I want you to know that today, God's love is ready to pour into your life. Oh, how wonderful it is to know God, to be saved from your sins, to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, to know His Son, to know His Spirit. Be thankful for that today. And if you're here today, and you don't know this God, The God who is sovereign, who created, who is all-powerful. His love is ready to rush into your heart today. Come to Him. Repent of your sins. Embrace Jesus Christ by grace through faith that you can know and praise this God. As we conclude this morning, a few questions to ask. The first one would be this. In your life, have you considered who God is? Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. Have you considered who God is? Being the God of gods, the Lord of lords. Completely sovereign, completely good. Secondly, have you considered what God has done? Have you looked back and remembered the past? Creation, the exodus. How God fought for his people. Have you considered the present? How God is preserving you, even to the point of bringing you here now into this church to have his word, to hear the word of God proclaimed? Have you considered the future? What God is moving towards this marriage supper of the land that Christ is coming back one day and God's going to call his people to himself. But most importantly, have you considered? the love of God, the Hesed. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And as I told the children, God so loved the world that he gave you his only begotten son. Pray with me, please.